Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Adam Gusterson, FTC General Manager of the Norfolk County FA. Adam, hello. Hi, Matt. Well, thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Um, I think, for me, it's somebody who assumes control in, 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 you know, all manner of situations, really. So, you know, for me, a good leader is is certainly somebody that would, uh, in times of crisis, be really decisive in those moments and, and, you know, show direction, um, you know, as you would expect. But I think leadership has certainly changed. Um, In in my personal opinion, I think uh, before it used to be very much kind of autocratic, very much, uh, demand and, and that was kind of the style that would be used uh, across the board kind of thing but I think you know with employees now you have to be different no employee is the same and, and certainly in life you know certainly the case as well everyone's different and, and responds differently so I think good leadership is, is, is recognizing that ability to you know see what works different people and actually developing and, and being a different sort of leader to, to those different sorts of people if that makes sense so yeah, that's kind of my, my <laughs> fairly simplistic take on leadership and kind of how I how I view it, really. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Um, I think where I see it is I think, especially when you're managing staff, it's certainly, I feel they're more, you know, ingrained in something if they feel they are part of it. And I think, you know, it's very dangerous if you are a leader that just demands and is very autocratic and, and actually, you know, the, the ability for, to, for your staff and for individuals to kind of flourish in that environment is quite difficult. And, and I think what you end up doing is you, you kind of be resented and you don't actually get the most out of people as well. So I always try and, and involve my team as much as possible and, you know, ensure that there's the opportunity for them to put ideas forward and to feel as though they're part, you know, they are part of projects and, and where possible, obviously give them their own parts to lead on and, and directly impact. So I think that's really important. Um, and you get loads more out of it because you do actually get people that, you know, flourish in that environment, people that will put ideas forward, people that feel confident enough to do that because you can't create that environment. And and that can only ever be beneficial for the, the business. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I, I look at it. And certainly, as I said at the start, there's certainly times where, you know, in times of crisis or, you know, there needs to be a really strong, bold decision made. That is where the kind of, decision-making process is taken out of everybody's hands and is, is taken by the leader, the person in charge. And, and, you know, in those moments, that is when a good leader will, will assume control. And that's, you know, that's certainly how I would try and do it. Let's go back to the very beginning of your career, at, uh, the very start of your working life even. Now, were there any particular individuals or circumstances that really shaped the way that you lead today? Um, I think... There's, yeah, I mean, I think there's been, uh, again, I do go back to that whole, you know, there's always a moment, isn't there, when, you know, in your working life where you, you, there's something that will come up and and you either don't, you don't know how you deal with it or you you don't know what sort of route you'd go down with with, with trying to deal with it. And I think it's in those moments, again, where you look at who your 
person, you know, the, the, the boss is at that point, and and you almost just see how they deal with it. And uh, you know, we've had a few incidents within the football industry where you know something you know will happen, and you you, you kind of just look at your leader and, and, and see how they deal with that. And you know, that's certainly something that I've taken on board from, from the chief executive that was in in post here, um, where you just sort of see that whole they take control of the situation and actually are able to kind of get to a conclusion where kind of everybody is happy and can see how you've got to that, you know, to the answer or how you've dealt with the problem. And I think, you know, they're, they're the moments that you notice and, and try to think of one specific now is difficult, but that's certainly where I've seen that and actually realised that, yeah, that is what a good leader does. A good leader, when everyone's uncertain or, or, or not sure what direction to go in, they will set that and, and make sure everyone's on board with them. And, that's certainly the art to good leadership for me. Now, of course, it's a very interesting time for leaders, um, not only in the, uh, the current economic uh, and social climate, but also in this revived interest in um, mental health of one's employees. Um, do you have any ways of coping with employee stress? Um, it's a really good question, and it's a really, really prevalent topic at the moment um, and we certainly as an organization have, uh, have you know embraced the need to to certainly spend more time and resource in, in that area so um, we, we, we did as an organization um, offer all members of staff an opportunity to attend uh, a mental health training workshop um, which run over two days just to again you know get some, some ideas and some tips from that and, 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 and to, you know, accept that at times it's, it's, it's fine not to be okay, as, as the saying goes. And, and I think we've certainly embraced that as an organisation. For me personally, it's that important aspect of checking in on people and, and actually sometimes it's not always work-related um, and it's having that balance of, you know, having, having a bit of time with individuals and talking about everything and not just, talk about work and getting pulled down in that you have to kind of manage the whole you know the whole aspect of the person's life now I think so um, definitely definitely a prevalent uh, subject at the moment and certainly as an organisation we recognise that there needs to be um, a lot more thought probably from senior management in terms of looking after staff well-being um, as I say the courses is kind of a tangible uh, bit of evidence if you like to show that we, we, we are offering something uh, directly for that but I think it is, as I say, just that mindfulness as a manager that actually, you know, we, we now need to invest a bit of time with our staff in ensuring or doing what we can to ensure that their mental well-being um, is, is in a good place. So, uh, yes, yes, as I say, it's something certainly we are, we are um, you know, embracing and, and making sure we're on top of. And how do you resolve conflict within the workplace? Um, very, very good question. I mean, we... <laughs> Again, it depends on on what the scenario might be, and again, I hate to keep going back to it, but that's where you, you, you kind of make your you're decisive in those moments, and you you, you make you know a judgment on the situation to then draw upon your conclusions as to how you deal with it. And um, I think it's very very important that everyone you know if there is a conflict within the, the workplace that it is it is addressed. It's not just left to fester; it has to be addressed. In, in whatever route you decide to take, um, the worst thing to do is to almost bury your head in the sand with it and ignore that a, a conflict has existed and, and try and hope that it will just sort itself out um, because that isn't pragmatic and that 
generally wouldn't happen. So it's it's a difficult question to say, I would definitely do this to sort of conflict out, but what I would do is ensure that all parties involved would have a, an equal opportunity to have a say. Um, and then upon that, we would obviously draw upon the conclusions and, you know, the, the, the obviously objective from it all would be that you move forward and, 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 and that's, that's where it would get to. And I think to go back a stage from that, you need to create a culture whereby actually conflicts can happen and differences in opinion and agreements are, are always going to naturally happen. But it's actually, you know, that doesn't cause friction between the two. And that is, again, embraced in terms of people have different opinions and different ideas, um, but it's always in a respectful manner. And actually, you always go back to that being respectful at the end of it all, even if you disagree. So I think that's, that's key to managing um, conflicts before they even happen, really. Um, and that's what I will, you know, I try and do here, really. Now, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Norfolk County FA? Sorry, Matt, I, I lost that last bit of that question. What does the next 12 months have in store for the Norfolk County FA? Um, we've got some exciting plans in terms of, of, of growth, in terms of what we're looking to do from a facilities perspective. Um, so developing the facilities here and, and actually... Uh, I guess making them a bit more fit for purpose for our customers that, that, that are here. And I think the next 12 months is going to be key in, in, in terms of that developing and actually presenting more opportunities for our staff, more opportunities to grow our staff, um, which is something we always want to strive to be able to do. Um, and really more opportunities for, uh, you know, the local football community to use the facilities that we have and that we, we, we you know, control. So I think, yeah, this next 12 months, We've got some exciting plans in terms of that, and I think we'll, we'll certainly take a lot of our focus. And, and hopefully, yeah, in a, in a year's time, we're going to be, you know, in a, in a sort of newer building, and we're going to have more, you know, facilities on offer to, to the customers, which is what we, we strive to do. Well, Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope you come back on the program at some point in the near future. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That was Adam Gusterson. FTC General Manager of the Norfolk County FA. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, 
So Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, 
in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, at, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people... And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn song, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly... Um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing... Um, in it, only a few games before I was I was playing, and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia. Only a couple of months before the final, and it looked at that stage as if I were going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. so I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position and somewhat fortuitously I only got back in the team because of a a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know, in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, well, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. 
I was just happy to be you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back now, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot. And it's there, and people players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great, hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it, it, uh, 
um, it did make and again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today, uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently, since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, no question at all. 
I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, the answer is straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, 
and it's just dedication and uh, attuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.